0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Well done. Uh, good evening, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. We'll continue to study the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and tonight, because of like the uh, this the second petition, "Your kingdom come," is probably the one that is most uh, confused and debated. And so we did look at that last night and I want to or yesterday and we'll look at it again today so before we begin let's open up in prayer and let's thank God for our opportunity to be uh, learning his word thank him for his word uh, and for the Holy Spirit to be humble and reverent and to be just be so grateful for his wonderful gifts to us and so with that let's pray Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for another day in your world. Thank you that you have provided for us everything that we need. That we not, need not fear anything. That we have membership in your kingdom. That we are forever members of your kingdom. We who have believed upon Christ as our Savior. With that security, Father, we learn from you to desire what is heavenly And though we have to live on the earth to not desire earthly things for uh, fulfillment, for happiness, for provision, that, that you provide for us, Father, and that whatever you provide, we shall be content with. That is our purpose. And to glorify you for who you are and what you've given us, which is monumental, our salvation. And the ability through your word and your spirit to live the spiritual life, no matter what life throws at us, to have you, because of you, to be overcomers. We ask, Father, that through your spirit we would all be enlightened by your word, and we ask in Christ's name, Amen. Um So Deb, that uh that's uh recording, right? Is that that says I don't know why I'm double-thinking that, because it is. It says stop recording right now, right? Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't say start recording. It says stop recording. Is that correct? All right, perfect. Uh, Prayer is a lifelong conversation of seeking God's holiness, uh, of living like His kingdom is your only existence, and... Again, prayer is a conversation that God has started with us and it takes us a while, I think, as believers to come to a realization that we need to respond back and respond often and to really grab hold of our prayer life and to take advantage of our prayer life on a daily basis to keep in constant contact with God because it is only with him and heaven that come to us, you know, the things that are good and the things that make for joy and for peace and for the fruit of the Spirit. This is all that comes to us that is uh, uh, good comes from God in heaven. And James writes this in James chapter 1 that every good thing comes from above. And the earth is not a source of anything good. Even uh, the crops that we grow have to come from the sun and from heaven um, and so, nothing here produced by man would be of any eternal value. What is of value, as Christ said, is, is him, and he's the bread that's come out of heaven, and if we eat of that bread, we will never hunger again. And what he meant by that is that we would be satisfied or made full. And so, this uh, we see what the Lord has done for us here in teaching us how to pray like this, that he is... Uh, forcing us to confront some very important aspects of the plan of God for our lives. And by these words, they're not just words to say, like something you repeat like a parrot, but to understand what is in each of these petitions forces us to confront our own selves and our relationship with God. And it's really brilliantly done. So again, prayer is a lifelong conversation, seeking God's, what's the first? Holy be your name. So we're seeking God's holiness. Do we, do we seek God's holiness? Do we revere him? Do we want his holiness for all others in the world, even our enemies? Your kingdom come. Well, we'll see, of course, we've already said this, that none of nobody's prayer is going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Uh, God's timing is not waiting on us, but uh, this, the aspects of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, the law of the kingdom, and there's something else about a kingdom too. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And so there's the reign and authority of the king, of which we have to be subjects of, and that leads to the next petition is obedience, which is the one that's probably easiest to understand. Your will be done. And notice the last part. The holiness of the Father. The Father is where? In heaven. The kingdom is from where? Heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And since the fall of man, heaven and earth have been at conflict with one another. But when Christ came, he said, I brought heaven, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And... By that, he brought the kingdom to us, and therefore, as the angels sang to the shepherds, peace will be with men now. Now that the one has come, the Messiah has come, who brought heaven, peace will be between men and heaven with whom, men with whom God is pleased. Not everybody, but with men with men amongst men, men and women, uh, uh, with whom God is pleased. And the ones with whom God is pleased are believers. And amongst believers, because we're commanded to be pleasing to God, Paul writes in Second Corinthians uh, 5 that it is our ambition to be pleasing to God. And that being pleasing to God as a believer is one who seeks Him. Uh, one who seeks Him, who seeks His word, seeks His will, seeks His way, above all other things. And so that, I just read this the other day, was reading Psalm 27, and just delighted to read this particular part of it. This is a psalm in which God, David, is praising God, and then he, he says in verse 4, Psalm 27 verse 4, "...one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple." Meditate on what? Well, that's Psalm 1. Meditate on His law day and night. Psalm 1. And uh, in that beautiful opening, remember, Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction to all the Psalms. And in Psalm 1, it it opens with who are those who uh, do not dwell amongst the wicked? Who are those who don't dwell amongst the wicked, who are separate from the wicked, who actually live righteously. They're those who dwell on the law of the Lord day and night. And the the line that I love here is, behold the beauty of the Lord. All right, how many in the world, even among Christianity, think the Lord is beautiful? You know, Would that be the first word that comes to your mind when someone said, hey, describe for me the Lord. When would we think of beauty? And it should be like one of the, I mean, the Lord has a lot of Attributes. I mean, you said omnipotence, omniscience, he's powerful. All of those are true, of course. But, you know, what is it that's really going to grab our attention? Of great power, we could be more afraid of it, you know. Uh, of omniscience, same thing. It's kind of daunting to be in the presence of God who is all-powerful. Uh, you know, and, and rightly so, there is a fear of the Lord that we should have as well. But, you know, who amongst us are really seeking the beauty of the Lord? Because to beautiful things we are attracted to. And this we must have, to be attracted to the Lord. In other words, He's more beautiful to us than anything else, and therefore we would rather look at Him. Rather than saying, well, I ought to, I know I'm supposed to, but to actually love him to the point where, you know, he's the most beautiful thing to you. And he is beautiful. So, getting to, again, Matthew 6, 9, says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name, sanctified, you could put in there too, sanctified be it's a command so the first petition the opening is an address our father the location of the father is very important that we we realize that our voices are being heard in heaven our thoughts holy be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so the first three are all about god and about us glorifying god through our thoughts our love of him our our uh, seeing his beauty and also our desire for him and for his kingdom. A kingdom has a rulership and a w- excuse me in a way and laws. And then and it naturally flows that from that we would be obedient. Then the last three petitions are about us. The first is about being content with what we have on earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, the, the last—the last one is—and <clears throat> we'll get to it. But you know, it's—it's it's really about our desiring to be led by God on the narrow road that leads to life. Or, probably, my favorite phrase for it in uh, Hebrews chapter ten is the new and living way. <clears throat> But to the, we're going to stick now because we're, we're speaking of the first three petitions of God that there is an order to these petitions. The first three, actually to all of them. There's an order to it, even to the ones of us. And we'll see that. Uh, the first three, though, glorify the Father and they follow one another by a kind of inevitable divine necessity. We began by... Uh, asking that the name of God be hallowed or holy amongst men. That would mean in ourselves and also our desire for others. But the moment we pray that prayer, we're reminded of the fact that God is not revered in the world. Uh, In fact, he is uh, confronted uh, or fought against, and, and he is opposed by the world, and so we say, you know, to ourselves, well, why? You know, why doesn't the world love its creator? Why doesn't the world think that God the Father is holy? The, you know, the Trinity is holy. The one true God is holy. And we would, it seems to me that most of the world could care less about him. But then we realize that mankind is fallen and born in sin. And they continue to commit the sin of rejecting the gospel and amongst Christians who have accepted the gospel, there's still amongst the selfishness that occurs and that we don't, there's some Christians, I'll just say some, that don't revere God as holy, but that are still immature and to, uh, you know, uh, the, that all of they really know, uh, you know, do they spend their time worshiping God, meditating on his word, learning his word. Those are, those are people who would think God is, is truly holy. And not all believers do that. So we discover, therefore, you know, and that's why it flows naturally, that those who don't honor God or revere God are part of another kingdom. The kingdom of darkness, whose ruler is the devil. Remember, the devil is still the ruler of this world. Uh, and yes, God is sovereign over the world, but God has allowed the devil to rule the world. He's the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. Uh, The prince of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in John chapter 12, Jesus himself calls him the ruler of this world. Uh, And the kingdom of darkness controls much of what men do. Or we would say that what men are willing to do. Uh, He can't force anybody to do evil. But plenty of people are willing to. And so the kingdom of darkness and the people of the world under its deception oppose God who work against God's glory and God's honor. They oppose God's word. They oppose the scriptures. They oppose Christians. They oppose. And Jesus said this in the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you, the last beatitude. Blessed are you where men persecute you for my name's sake. And then he said, yours, here's the promise, yours is the kingdom of God. And interestingly, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. The last beatitude is, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my namesake, for yours is the kingdom of God. And those are the the bookends to the beatitudes. There's eight of them. And so the first, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, would be identical then to those who are persecuted for my namesake. The poor in spirit are those who, you know, so we figure out what does poor in spirit mean? It means humility. It means I want to obey God more than anything. I don't care about the world. I care about the kingdom of God. My life is hid with Christ in heavenly places. I don't seek the things of the earth. Those are the poor in spirit. And they're mocked. persecuted of course they are because this world is run by the kingdom of darkness and there are plenty of people who are willing to do the will of the kingdom of darkness and so they will persecute us now the kingdom of darkness and the people of the world under its deception oppose God as we said but God has promised since the beginning Since the fall in Genesis 3.15, which is called the Proto-Evangel, the first evangelistic message, that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent on the head and the serpent would bruise him on the heel. It is a prophecy of the cross and that God, and continue through prophecy throughout the Old Testament, is where the promise of God's kingdom is stated again and again and again. We'll see it here in a bit. <clears throat> uh through the prophets, especially, from the beginning, God has promised that he's going to establish his kingdom on the world on the world literally and in time and it will be a real and tangible kingdom. What a glorious day that's going to be there no one will disobey right that, and there will be those who revolt, but they lose uh No one gets away with anything. Jesus will rule the world, and we will rule with him. And all the promises made to Israel will be fulfilled on earth for a thousand years. And we find in the scripture that we're to long for this. Right now, we're to long for it. Can we long for it so much that God will say, well, you know, all right, I'll come now. I can see that you're you're really bummed out that this has taken me a long time. No, of course not. We're not going to push God's timing. But we're told that we are to long for it. And part of me says, well, wait a minute. If it's not going to happen in my lifetime while I'm here, why am I longing for it now? And I find out, and this has been kind of a new revelation for me, that the con- what you long for and desire, what you love, <clears throat> is what is going to dictate the contents of your thoughts most of the time. It's not going to make you sinless. But what you love, what you're looking for, what you're longing for, is actually going to mold the content of your mind. And to long for this kingdom is to have a heart it says, you "No, know, I don't want the things of the world. I want the things of that kingdom." Right? You long for it. Now we're all going to be there. All believers are going to be there. But you know, it, it, there's a rapture and then there's a tribulation and then you know, it's it's got a ways to go. I mean, unless the rapture happens like very soon, but it's still even that. And we're rapture believers. Uh, in this ministry, and that, you know, then there's a seven year tribulation, and it's going to take a while. But I'm to long for that kingdom now, and we'll see that. So <clears throat> it, it does, it actually molds my heart. What do I really want? And you see, Jesus is saying, Pray this, my, your kingdom come. And people have, for this very petition, people have thrown this prayer out, said it can't be for the church, because the kingdom's not coming during the church. The kingdom, When the kingdom comes, the church is over. Uh, and so we say it can't be for us. But what Jesus is getting at is our longing, and he's cornering us. And he's saying, look, in your prayer life, I want you to consider the holiness of the Father the heavenliness of the Father, and the kingdom that has been promised since the beginning. And once you have those in order, then Jesus said, now I want you to consider your obedience to the will of the, of the king. Are you a part of this kingdom or not? Do you long for this kingdom or not? Is it a holy kingdom that you see the beauty of or not? And he forces us. See, if we're praying this every day. We're confronted with it every day whether you use Jesus' exact words or not, the principles kind of paint us into a corner where we're in our inner room with the Father saying, "Eh, well, here's, you know, I know, Father, you can see my heart. So this is it. This is what I am. And we have to confront it ourselves. And it's uh, it's an eye-opener, really. And I think it's marvelous. Jesus here has done just the smartest thing with prayer. It's a tragedy that people don't know what it is or consider it not to be a part of the church. Uh, So the promises of the coming kingdom of God abound in the Old Testament prophecy. And since that kingdom is coming and is still yet future, it has to be different than the current world, right? So that's a no-brainer. If the kingdom's coming, it's not here now. However, consider passages like this. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Is that only in the millennium? Oh, heck no. He's sovereign all the time. Satan doesn't have authority over him, obviously. So what we call this is the universal kingdom of God. As much as much is spoken about it, this is God saying, like for instance, "I will accomplish all my good pleasure," in Isaiah 46. (coughs) It's going to happen that He rules. There's no other gods beside Me. You know, these are all things that God talks about. I am sovereign over the whole thing forever. We call it the universal kingdom of God, but within the universal kingdom of God is all of human history. And in that, there's different dispensations um, and, you know, different things happen. In Ephesians 1.11, it says that God works all things after the counsel of his will. All things. It is universal. However, is Jesus asking us to pray about this kingdom? The answer would be no. Because this kingdom is for everything. It's not the kingdom to come. The kingdom to come would be included in this. So, the kingdom for which we are to pray is defined by the next petition, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is in heaven is the Father, and that's our opening, our address, our Father who is in heaven, and as well as the reality of these three petitions in heaven God's name is glorified as holy now that's all they do in heaven there's no opposing view his king sorry his kingdom is there we see it wonderfully in revelation chapter 20 is 20 right or is it 21 where the the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven right so that uh, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14, and that place comes down to earth uh, later, you know, at the end of the age, not in the millennium, but at the end of the thousand years. So, <clears throat> the kingdom of God is in heaven, and also his will is done perfectly in heaven. The petitions are for what is done naturally in heaven to be done here on earth, but we can't run around forcing people to do stuff. Uh, the crusade, the crusades were a kind of a shot at that. Uh, not all the crusades were as <coughs> all of equal, uh, let's say uh, misplaced motivation. I would say, but. Um, You know, there have been times like uh, Geneva under Calvin when Calvin got control of the city or he was given control of the city. He tried to make it a Christian city and it failed miserably because you can't force people to do stuff, not uh, not Christian stuff. So, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, what is natural in heaven can be in the hearts of people now in this age. In the, in the Old Testament age, not like it is now, obviously, because Christ hadn't come. When Christ came, he said it plainly. I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven. You eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. The kingdom of God is among you. And so, here it is. I'm the king. But now, so where is the king? He's in us. In us. But we also see in Ephesians chapter 3 that he can dwell in our hearts. Within, though, still, and we also see that the law, which is the law of the kingdom, can be etched or written on our hearts, which is within. So the king, the way of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom can all be in us. And what what God has done here is taking however many there are of us, you know, in our church there's a few, but we're together. So he takes these people who are filled and were supposed to be filled with in actuality you could say I'm filled with heaven itself the will of what happens in heaven the will of God the uh, the kingdom of God the the reverence absolute reverence for the holiness of God that's all there all the time You know angels in heaven are waiting for God to say fly over there or fly over there do this or do that they're waiting for commands and they'll do them to the T and we're supposed to do that so ourselves filled with heaven we gather together as a group in a local church and then we become a force really a force multiplier we're through our service of one another our praying for one another our love of one another our unity uh, the function of our spiritual gifts and service create a very powerful spiritual entity which is the body of Christ. So it's extremely important that we desire the kingdom of God. Now, we're not going to build it on earth. Only Christ is going to do that. That's not the business of the church. Um, but it is the business of the church to have that built within ourselves. Um and so, so, although the sovereign will of God is done all over the earth, until, so the universal kingdom is this, that God has actual sovereignty, we know that, and his will will be done. I mean, no one's going to stop it. It's very confusing, and we scratch our heads and say, well, God, if you wanted your will to be done, why did you allow so much sin and evil? Because there's a whole bunch of it. Why did you allow it? And you know, we'll have to wait to get further information on that. Maybe, perhaps we could answer it. Maybe not. I don't know. But although the sovereign will of God is done all over the earth and under His universal kingdom, there is nevertheless a great difference between what is being done in heaven and what is being done on earth. The difference arises out of the fact that rebellion and sin still exists upon earth. And sin, which was to be dealt with uh, and and had to be dealt with, and, you know, we take this for granted because we know it and, and, and revere it all the time. But sin was dealt with in a way that no one could have ever imagined. That God would become a man and judge himself or be judged by the Father for the sins of the world. Who, in the, who could have ever imagined such a thing? So, uh, the kingdom to come. Let's say it would go to Haggai chapter 2. It's always good to throw in a minor prophet. Don't be embarrassed if you have to look at your glossary. I don't know if... Um, oh, I do know. I don't think I have the order of the minor prophets uh, memorized. <laughs> Anytime I've set out to do something like that, I forget it like an hour later. <clears throat> Haggai chapter 2, if we look at verse 6. It says, once more in a little while, God says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory. What house? Israel. And this only happens in the millennial reign. There's something out there, too, that you, uh, is frequently repeated in the scripture, heaven and earth and the sea. It's often a trio where God is speaking of what He's going to do on Earth, and He puts them all three together. So He says once again here, once more, in a, and notice also God says in a little while. And since Haggai, um, I think he's a contemporary with Isaiah, and so that's eight hundred, two thousand, like twenty, almost three thousand years since this prophecy, and it's still not here. But God says, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house, Israel, with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, the clearest prophecy about that uses the word kingdom is in Daniel. So go to Daniel at the end of the minor prophets uh Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 a very famous passage and in it actually I'd like to do a little more here let's see if I can find Daniel uh 7 because it's here that we get the Son of Man. There he is. He's in verse 13. So let's start verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions. Daniel seven thirteen. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. All right, so who's the Son of Man? This is the title that Jesus used for Himself more often than any other. And the Jews knew what He meant. He's referring to this passage when He uses it. And He uses it all the time. Saying, I'm the One. And the One who is presented before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days would be the Father. And presented before Him, He's the King. And it says in verse 14, And to Him i drop my Bible. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people's nations and men of every language might serve him. We saw in Haggai that they're bringing all of this money and stuff to Israel, and God said, I'm going to fill my house. And right here he says that all the people's nations and men of every language are going to serve him. This is the millennial reign of Christ. How amazing and wonderful is this time going to be? His dominion is an everlasting dominion, so it lasts longer than a thousand years, which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one, which will not be destroyed. What did he say about Satan's kingdom? kingdom divided against itself will not stand. But look at His kingdom. His kingdom is one, unified. And this is the future of the earth. And we are to long for it. It really uh, purifies our heart when we do. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And so there, um, that would be a reference to the millennial kingdom as well. Now, the idea of kingdom restored to Israel at the time of Christ was at the forefront of many people's thoughts because John the Baptist's ministry, and remember, he was extremely popular, John was, that his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The same message that Jesus started with. And the fact that Jesus is speaking of the kingdom to come upon the earth, which will not come until his second advent. But the prayer is equally poignant and effective for the church. John the Baptist spoke of a coming kingdom. Jesus spoke of that the kingdom of God was among us. But Jesus went back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, and this kingdom will not come until he comes at his second advent. But since the kingdom was to come later and still hasn't come, all of them, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles, the writers of Scripture, were all desiring for people, for all people, to enter the kingdom of God. Because although it's future, you can't enter it after you're dead. You can only enter it now to become a member, if you will. It has to happen in a person's lifetime. And for us who have believed in him, to live in the laws of the kingdom, in the way of the kingdom, is available to us now. In fact, it's commanded of us now. By the law of God, we're not allowed to live any way that we want. God doesn't say, well, look, just wait until you get to my kingdom and then obey me. Right? It's obey me now. And so the way, the truth, the life of the king is the way, the truth, the life of the kingdom. So in John 14:6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That way, that truth, and that life of the king is the way and truth and life of the kingdom. And we are to know those and live in those now. Those ways, those laws are not going to change in the future. So in our second petition here, where we say your kingdom come, it confronts us with the reality in ourselves and our desire for the kingdom of God in the hearts of others. I say in the hearts, because it's not going to be established here on earth in our age. So in a kingdom the kingdom the king reigns and he must reign in our lives this leads us to the next petition so easily your will be done if i'm a member of the kingdom and i see what he's getting us to do is say you know what the king the laws of the king the way of the king they're in here and i'm surrounded by satan's kingdom and i must live this kingdom and while I do, let the light of the kingdom shine to everybody else and invite them in. The kingdom has a narrow gate, right? Through The narrow gate is the gospel. I, mean, I know a lot of people, when they talk about kingdom, 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 they're trying to... It, well, there's a lot of replacement theology out there and you, we have to understand that we're, the kingdom of God is in us but we're not establishing it here on earth. Jesus will establish it on earth when he comes again, and he will establish it with the nation of Israel. And it will be a fulfillment for a thousand literal years of all of Israel's promises, his covenant promises. The Abrahamic, Davidic, Palestinian, and New Covenant will all be fulfilled during that thousand years. And as we just read, all the other nations will pay homage to the king. All other nations will bring their wealth to the king. And Israel will reign supreme under the king. There won't be a stitch of anti-Semitism anywhere. So in one way, <coughs> the kingdom of God has already come with the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> so look at Matthew 4.17. Go back to Matthew thing in my throat's been there for like two days I, know, there was, I can't remember who said it someone this was a little while ago it was, i don't know probably a couple years ago <coughs> there it is again that uh, uh someone had been listening to me online and they talked to somebody that was coming here and said <clears throat> He's like, oh yeah, that pastor. You, I know, I listen to that guy. That's the guy who always clears his throat. Like It was like the most thing I did. <laughs> I don't know why. Matthew 4.17. Uh, from that time... So Matthew 4.17, we've seen this before. When Jesus starts His ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the first thing that He says. After the temptation in the wilderness and He goes to Galilee and begins His ministry... From that time, which is the start of his ministry, began you know, Jesus began to preach and say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." <coughs> and then, it, <coughs> excuse me, if you go to Matthew twelve twenty-eight, and in this, in Matthew twelve, this is where um, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil, and he he calls this an unforgivable sin, and then in Matthew 13 he introduces the mystery kingdom through seven parables. Uh, but anyway, in Matthew 12:28 he said, "But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." So in <clears throat> Matthew 4:17 the kingdom of God is at hand, and in Matthew twelve twenty nine, the kingdom of God, or twenty eight, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, <coughs> excuse me. In another way, there is the kingdom is here now. I thought that was a slide. It wasn't. Uh, and but not visible. The king and his laws are to be in our heart. It, one of the promises of the new covenant was that the law would be written on your heart. I think, you know, wasn't the law in their hearts in the past? But there's something about this phrase that says, you know, written on your heart means it's not just known and believed, which for us it is. It's known and believed. But written on our hearts means it becomes a part of us. Why can this happen? I, I, I mean, I don't know how it happens physically or mentally. We're not given those kinds of details. But what we do know is that in the church for the first time, which is also a promise of the New Covenant, is that we have the Holy Spirit within us. So we have the Holy Spirit within us to take this truth and write it on our hearts because in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He is within us, the Holy Spirit, (coughs) making an understanding happen. And that's what written on our heart would be. So for in the church, you know, the word of God that is alive and powerful becomes a part of the very fabric of our being. And you know, that's never happened before. So <clears throat> it, the kingdom is now the physical, no. It's not visible. The king and his laws are in our hearts. The king is invisible. He's, he's at the right hand of God. He is not visible here on earth, nor are his ways and his laws visible. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I suppose in some places you could see them. But, um, you know, they're, the reality of the laws of God, the commands of God, are only on the hearts of those believers who are faithful. And they're the only ones who really know it. Even if Scripture was written on every tell you know every every part of the world uh, who would understand it or know it or accept it those were the ones would be the ones that would see it so <clears throat> my lord uh, the king isn't visible nor are his ways and his laws however the king indwells every believer in his ways and in law in his laws are written on our hearts if we choose to learn his word and to apply faith to it, When his laws are written on our hearts, in this context means that it is known, believed, and honored. And we honor his word, and we know it, we believe it, we love his word, and the Holy Spirit uh, makes that a reality written on our hearts. And then, if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, the indwelling Christ dwells at home in our hearts. So this is a church age thing. You know, we're, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're indwelt by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.14, Paul's prayer, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom, it's not every family, from whom the whole family, in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is something else besides the indwelling of Christ, which is for which every believer has, because not every believer is strengthened with power in his spirit, or sorry, in his inner man by the Holy Spirit. Um, Not all. So it's those who uh, seek, know, love the way of God, the laws of God, that Christ dwells in their hearts through faith. This means something else than indwelling our bodies, and so it is uh, a relationship with the Lord that is intimate and personal. It's a worship of the Lord. It's an obedience to the Lord, and that your heart, which is generally in the Scripture used of your, you know, often your like your whole inner being and what you love and your norms and standards and things like that, but, like the whole thing. <clears throat> is is really under the reign of Christ. For a lot of people in their hearts the the one who rules their hearts is themselves, their own desires, which is really the rulership of the sin nature. And you see th- there comes a point where for a believer who is striving for a while, I don't know how long it takes for every believer, but for a while striving to be obedient and, and to understand and to seek the Lord. And to see, as we saw in that opening, Psalm 27, to see the beauty of the Lord. Right In that Psalm, if I may remind, right, he says, One thing I have asked the Lord, and that I shall seek. This, is, this means you know, that David desires this. Overturning every stone, praying, learning, seeking, day in and day out. For what? To behold the Lord's beauty. And we can do this far more richly than David could have ever dreamed because we have the indwelling of the Spirit and the indwelling of Jesus Christ. So Paul again in his prayer says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that would be of the love of Christ. And see, there's a lot to seek for. Because there's a breadth and a length and a height and a depth, four dimensions of the love of God that would take, you know, over a lifetime of discovery. And then in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. then One of the most astounding statements in the scripture, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What does filled mean? Satisfied. Content. Nothing lacking. So we must state again that in no such ways as the church does the church replace Israel, nor that Israel's covenant promises will not be given to them literally in the future. Just because the church receives some of the benefits of the new covenant doesn't mean that Israel is not going to receive all of the benefits of the new covenant in the future. It does mean simply but wonderfully that the king and his laws are in our heart and that Christ, when he says, pray your kingdom come, he is leading us to seek out the way of the, the obedience to the king, the ways of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom in our hearts, and not only in ours, but in others. This We desire it for others as well, even our enemies. <clears throat> um uh, Lloyd Jones is a wonderful... where am I? There we go. Uh, he has a, a wonderful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says this about this, this petition in the Lord's Prayer. He says, quote, "The kingdom of God is present in the church in the heart of all those who are truly Christian. Christ reigns in such people." And uh, I agree with it wholeheartedly. This is is it. So, is it the future kingdom? Yeah. But the future kingdom isn't coming physically on earth because we asked for it. The king of that future kingdom, the laws, the ways of that future kingdom are all available to us now. So, we're to look forward to this. Uh, The day is coming when the kingdom will be established on earth and we're to look for it and to long for it. Again, if it's not coming in my lifetime, why am I looking for it? <laughs> it gets back to... no. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says something pretty astounding, but simple. He says, we don't hope for things that we see. Right? If I I have... I don't know, I don't hope to have something that I already have in my hand. Right? It's simple but profound. And Paul said, you know, there's something coming in the future. That's what Romans 8 is about. It's where he says, you know, we groan in these bodies longing for our redemption. And what he means there is our passageway into our resurrection bodies. We long for it in these bodies where we're tempted by sin and we have ailments and we get old. Where an outer man is decaying. Beautiful, that's another great passage, 2 Corinthians 4. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so why look for something that I'm not going to see in my lifetime? Because it molds your thought process. There's a kingdom coming where the laws of God are going to be obeyed, uh, where the way of God is going to be lived. In other words, what happens in heaven every day naturally will be here on earth. And we long for that. So let's see this. Go to 2 Peter. We'll skip the 1 Corinthians passage for the sake of time. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And while you're going there, I'll just highlight uh, in 1 Corinthians 15... It says that the Son uh, is resurrected. He's the first fruits. Uh, so it says Christ is the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. And then Paul writes, Then comes the end, and he will deliver up the kingdom of God and <coughs> Father. To, sorry. <laughs> he delivers up the kingdom to the to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So Jesus delivers up the kingdom. So what we have here in 1 Corinthians 15, not here, we'll say in 2 Peter, that Jesus Christ conquers, he conquers the earth with heaven, and then he establishes this kingdom full of the redeemed of Israel and the church and of all ages, and then he delivers this kingdom back to the father and it's this and then it says that he even subjects himself to the father it's this beautiful right going back to daniel chapter 7 here comes the son of man who presents himself to the ancient of days and the ancient of days who is the father says your kingdom's going to have no end the 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 son of man conquers he conquers you know, at the second coming, he does a lot of killing, but what he really conquers is sin and death for the human race. He gathers to himself all of his brethren from Israel, church, and all ages. And then this finished kingdom, he presents it to the Father, he gives it to the Father. And it's beautiful. This is our King, this is our Lord. And so now and what we do now if you look at 2 Peter chapter 3 look at verse 8 but do not let this one fact escape your notice Peter writes beloved writing to believers that the Lord that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day all right this kind of explains the prophecy to Haggai and there's others where God says in a little while I'm going to bring this kingdom in a little while. It's been 3,000 years, Lord. Well, he says, yeah, but for me, that's like three days. With the Lord, one day is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is a day. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So hold on to that word patience, okay? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? The same thing all the time when you see God's judgment. It comes quick. When it comes. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are be to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So wait a minute. Peter has taking a twist here. He's saying to us, look, if all this earth and the heaven are going to all be destroyed with fire and God's going to make a new heaven and new earth, then, you know, while you're here in the old creation, what kind of people should you be? What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And then notice verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, hastening is, is kind of a poor translation here, I think, because hastening seems to think that, you know, we're actually going to bring it, and, and it we're not. Uh, hastening is a Greek word that means to uh, desire, to earnestly desire. So, again, verse 12 would be looking for and desiring the coming of the day of God, On account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, no, his kingdom promises all throughout Old Testament, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, all right, now remember the word look. Where did we see look in verse 12? looking for and desiring the coming of the day of God, then in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. I said, remember the word patience, right? Why patience? What we're saying, come on, God, this is taking forever. We want out of here. We want heaven. Who doesn't? We want that we're one will, and I no longer have a body that tempts me. And I'm not, I don't live in a world that tempts me. Let's get it going. And God says, wait, I'm patient. Why? Because verse 15 says it's salvation. And we say, well, we're already saved. And God would say, oh, you selfish, selfish bugger. It's salvation for others. As time goes on, generation after generation, more and more and more are being saved. And that's what God's patience means. He delays. If Christ came back in nineteen sixty or on march twentieth, nineteen sixty six, I don't exist. But thanks to the patience of God, I do exist, and I'm a saved man with an eternal destiny. I say, thank you, Lord, for your patience. But now that I want to get to heaven, I'm like, God, why are you taking so long? We are to look for it and to earnestly desire it. Why? Are we going to bring it? No. All right. Jesus, in teaching us to pray, wants our hearts to be filled with this kingdom, not this one. Your kingdom come. I desire it. I long for it. There's other passages too. At the end of the book of Revelation, right? The, the, it says the spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. Who's the spirit? Holy Spirit. Who's the bride? We are. In the very last line of the whole Bible, the bride says, Come, Lord Jesus. And here's what Jesus' response is. I'm coming quickly. And we're like, quickly! thousand years. What are you waiting for? So you're waiting for the Father to send me. You know, <clears throat> He said, "I don't even know when I'm coming." He said that to the disciples. No one knows the day, the hour, nor, nor do I. And but He's why is He patient? People getting saved. And to, we tie that all together. You know, if God is patient so that people get saved. If we shine the light of this kingdom to the world, the light of the king to the world, we can assist him in saving people. And it's just a marvelous. The whole thing is marvelous. And it's all intricately (laughs) tied together in ways that are just fascinating. And I am out of time. So, come Lord Jesus. He said, yes, I am coming quickly. All right. We'll see. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for oh, such wonderful truths. The truth of your kingdom that we can. We can't see all the details of it, but what you provide for us, Father, is an understanding of that the kingdom has, is made up of those who glorify the name of the Father, who love the holiness of the Father, who long for the ways of the kingdom, and who obey the ways of that kingdom. We, you have provided everything for us that we can do the same. Before we get there, before we're physically part of it, a privilege, Father, to be able to do so in the face of such opposition in this world and in our even our own flesh. But as you have said to us, we can control our flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, all of which are a part of your eternal and wonderful kingdom. May we see, Father, with clarity what is important. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.